Good morning. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Off day yesterday. Rare one for the Blue Jays. Their first after a stretch of 17 consecutive game days. Their lone off day in a stretch of 31. I wonder what they did. It's also, uh, they traveled Sunday. They're only home for three. They're traveling again on the weekend. I don't know. That, given how tough things have gone lately for this team, I wonder if that was a complete take the day off kind of day. Uh, get away from baseball entirely, reset. There's some non Blue Jays news out there if you're a little curious. Uh, there are, of course, coaching and GM searches going on. The news yesterday that Nick Nurse is uh, now. Head coach of Philadelphia 76ers, our pal Elliot Friedman, is reporting that uh, Toronto Maple Leafs assistant coach Spencer Carberry is uh, getting very close. Washington is closing in on Carberry as its next head coach. Reports out of Europe today that the Toronto Raptors' former assistant coach Sergio Scariolo, who I loved chatting basketball with when he was here as an assistant during the championship and run it back years, uh, he is a finalist for the Raptors' job as the Raptors narrow their search. So we'll Keep an eye on that stuff. Nothing on the Leafs GM stuff. Um, The Toronto Blue Jays are back in action tonight, though. They're facing a team that feels in a similar place in terms of how they've actually played versus where expectations were. But the Milwaukee Brewers have the benefit of being in the National League Central. So their version of not playing particularly well and underwhelming, um, they've gotten there different ways. They've had some injuries in the starting rotation. They have uh, uh, actually a pretty big negative run differential. But despite that, they're 28 and 25. It's a half game better than the Jays would be. And they're atop the NL Central because similar to the American League, the National League has a pretty solid East, uh, really solid West, and then a very mediocre Central Division. Brewers lost three or four on the weekend. They're, they're in a bit of a losing skid of their own four and seven over their last 11. Again, dropped three or four to the giants on the weekend. Um, They are a bottom six offense so far and their pitching is just kind of hanging in there. So how do you be an average pitching staff and a bottom offense and end up at the top of the division? Well, you play in the NL central, not that any of those teams are as bad as the bottom of the AL central teams. Like none of those teams are touching the white Sox or Kansas city, but It's not great. Everyone's kind of just hovering between eight games under 500 and three games over. None of them look particularly strong right now. Mention the White Sox, by the way. Shout out to Liam Hendricks. He got in that game last night, made his return um, after dealing with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, and defeating that on his way back. Uh, Really great to see. Cool moment around baseball. The Jays were off. They'll get going. The the pitching matchups for this Brewers series. Yusei Kikuchi against Adrian Hauser tonight. Alec Manoa against Julio Tehran on Wednesday, and then Kevin Gosman against Freddie Peralta for the afternoon game on Thursday. Should be a fun series. Supposed to be very nice all three of these days. Taking my mom to the game tomorrow. So that'd be fun. Uh, We have a a fun show today as we tee up this Brewer series. Chris Black is going to join us in studio in a few minutes here. He'll be with us until 11 o'clock. He had a great thread this morning on some of the struggles that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going through. We're going to go deep on that. We're going to go deep on what's going on with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., what maybe needs to change, uh, what he could potentially learn from Bo Bichette's strong play and his improvements from an approach perspective at the plate. 
talk about all that stuff. We'll do a little Dalton Var show in there, and then we'll set up tonight's game and maybe the series as a whole. Uh, talk to Yusei Kikuchi and Alec Manoa with Chris at 11 o'clock. We're going to be joined by Sam Decker. Sam Decker is a former Toronto Raptor, plays for the London Lions in the British Basketball League. He was MVP this year, second team all Euro Cup. He is a massive Milwaukee Brewers fan. Uh, we had him on the show once last year, and I thought it'd be one of those like, oh yeah, basketball player is loosely a fan of baseball. Let's kick it around. Let's talk about, you know, watching games where you're hitting. No, he, like he is tweeting about like the Brewers need to try to bring back Jesus Aguilar and see if there's anything left in the bat. Uh, he'll help us tee up that Brewers series. Um, maybe we'll ask him a little bit about the Boston Celtics blowing game seven after coming back from down three, nothing just cause I'll look for any opportunity to sprinkle that in today. Maybe an opportunity with Josh Moore, the the Brewers radio play-by-play uh, voice who came up in the Boston area uh, with Boston's minor league baseball system. We'll see if he has any Celtics ties. We'll talk to him at 1130. So as we wait for Chris Black to finish his giant thread on the Don Valley Parkway and everything that's wrong with the Don Valley Parkway, uh, we had some leftover questions in the text line from yesterday that I didn't get to. So I'm going to hit a couple of those now as we wait for Chris. And you can keep those coming into 590, 590. Uh, can't promise we'll always get to them, but uh, the good ones that uh, producer Jeff grabs uh, stay in my little planning doc. I can always come back to them later. Uh, make sure you sign them and let us know where you're from too so we can shout you out. Mark from Toronto asks, how long until they put Witt or Kevin Kiermaier leading off and then go Springer to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 3, Bo 4? Uh, it adds a little bit of speed and smarts for the top of the order. Mark, I, I think that would be, I mean, first of all, the the realistic thing is they're not moving George Springer out of the leadoff spot. I think that's pretty clear over the years, even when he struggled, even when he's been banged up and in and out of the lineup, that spot is his unless George Springer comes to you at some point and says, I don't want to hit leadoff anymore. Um, or the, you know, the performance has dipped a little bit this year, but it started rounding into form and a lot of the indicators were always there. Um, I think the issue with Witt or Kevin Kiermaier in that spot is the on-base profile. Like, yes, it's nice to have speed up there, and Kevin Kiermaier is obviously hitting uh, way better than we anticipated right now. Whit Merrifield uh, is, you know, the batting average is nice, but a three thirty-five on-base percentage leading off is not great. It's, uh, I mean, it's a hair ahead of where George Springer's been this year, but that's going to uh, normalize at some point. And, and Whit Merrifield's coming off of, you know, three consecutive years where his on-base percentage was even lower than that. For me, on-base is, is one of the biggest skills you can have in the leadoff spot, not making it out, making sure someone is on the bases early. Um, there's also, you know, on-base is also a proxy in some ways for are you working longer plate appearances? So if you're looking down at Bo and Vlad waiting to hit, are you getting a couple pitches deep so they can see a little bit of what an Adrian Hauser has before they face him for the first time? Kiermaier was a more interesting one uh, prior to him dealing with back soreness. He's hitting 319. He has a 366 OBP. He is not a high walk guy at all either. But if you're hitting over 300, that goes a long way to helping your uh, your OBP. The other thing I will say about this, and it applies to Kiermaier a great deal, is the traditional thinking with a leadoff man of um, you know bat to ball skill and speed. I love that in the nine hole. I've always been, I know like analytically you go your best player second and then fourth and then first and then third. And then it goes kind of from there, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have always preferred though. Once you get past like five, um, my best OBP slash speed guy, I want in the nine hole because that, yes, they're going to have fewer 
plate appearances than someone who hits sixth, say. But that spot resetting the table for the top of the order, I find some value in. I think that's especially true with the Blue Jays where George Springer at the leadoff spot has some speed of his own. Uh, and then you set that up with Kevin Kiermeyer there. So I'm I'm okay with Kier, certainly Kiermeyer's spot in the lineup. Merrifield hitting in the sixth range, it kind of is what it is. They just plug him in wherever there's a hole. Um, and Springer's not going anywhere. So I think one of the questions that flows from your main question, Mark, in Toronto is, you know, what do you do with Vlad here and does Bo moving out of the two spot do anything to help that? I like Bo in the two spot, um, you know, sliding Vlad down to four, maybe at some point is that's something we got asked yesterday. Um, we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out, but we're going to, the, the bigger thing rather than tweaking the batting order is that we've got to dig deep and diagnose what has been going wrong for someone like Vladimir Guerrero jr. We did it with George Springer. We're starting to see him come out of it. Swing and miss is down. The walks are up. And yeah, some of it with Springer is just like he had a lot of hard hit balls finding gloves. And now he's having a lot of softly hit balls finding grass. Uh, That's part of it. That's part of baseball. It is a more thorough diagnosis that needs to be done with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Who has been solid on the season, but the bar for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not Solid. He was number two in MVP voting two years ago. He had an OPS over a thousand that year. Right now he is hitting 284. He has been 26% better than a league average hitter. That is good. Obviously the bar for Vladimir Guerrero jr. Is significantly higher than that. The bar for first base slash DH is pretty high as well, but this is mostly about, we have come to expect Vladimir Guerrero jr. Uh, maybe not to repeat being a 311 hitter with 48 home runs, but to be something more than a 275 280 hitter with uh, okay, but not elite power. Chris black joins us now. His thread on all the issues with the traffic flow on the Don Valley Parkway. His engineering thread is complete. Uh, you can check that out at Down to Black on Twitter. Uh, Chris Black, producer at Sportsnet. How are you, man? I'm good. Uh, just got home from the Tampa-Minnesota road trip, which started off not so good, but uh, they recovered a little bit. Um, so, yeah, and the commute was a mess today. Well, you're here. <laughs> I'm here. You made finally. it. And made we're going to get right into the most important it. stuff. Last weekend, Nathan Lucas had a 10-pitch walk. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm not going to do that with you. Uh, I am not. Uh, We are going to talk primarily about... We've got some quick hitters that we'll do in the... that You're going to stay with us the whole hour. So after we take a break midway through this hour, uh, we'll do some quicker hitters on on a Dalton Varshow. We'll set up this series with some Yusei Kikuchi and Alec Manoa thoughts. But the big headline item today, and you posted a thread on, on Twitter at Down to Black earlier today going into some video and images and stuff like that. We're going to talk it out. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not hitting particularly well. I read his season stats out as I was introducing you here. If you take away the grand slam off of Luke Rayleigh, (laughs) who is a first baseman, this is the worst 15-game hitting stretch of Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s career. Yeah. What is going on? Yeah, by on-base, by slugging, by lots of strikeouts. By high test. High test. um, Everything looks off. Um, The first caveat, too, that I didn't even address in the in the thread that I just don't know. And that's why I don't usually address stuff like this is we don't know what his health level is. Mm -hmm. We don't know if the knee is hurt. We know he took a couple weeks ago. He took a few games off because of it. So we don't know what's going on there, but the way I view what I do on Twitter as a producer, whatever, I'm not going to know that stuff. I'm not inside the room. 
So we can only go by what we see at the plate. Well, and this is the, it, like, it's a baseball season and we're a third of the way in. Like if Kevin Kiermaier stops hitting well for average, are we just going to be like, well, we can't analyze it because he, his back was sore for a couple of days. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is in the lineup every day. He did miss a game and then only pinch hit in the game because of that knee thing. The MRI came back clean. We also have to keep in mind with Vlad, there's the wrist thing that he's managed at times. But I think we can at least, even if you want to have that hanging over as a caveat, there is so much to what's going on with Vlad that is approach-based that I think we can dig in. And even if there is a bit of an injury element to it, there is also a real approach thing to this. So um, we can set that aside now. There's oh, maybe sure. an injury, but a 505 OPS over the last 15 games, if you take out the Luke Rayleigh Grand Slam, um, that is a really, like 15 games is, a long time. Like where he hasn't homered off of a pitcher since May 4th. Yep. That goes back even further than that. But this is a, a pretty significant stretch of you're going through it. Um, I know we're going to pull out some of the stuff that you put in that thread, but high level, um, give us the, you know, elevator pitch of what is going wrong for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right now before we dive in further. A lot of the, usually where I start on a lot of this stuff is by listening to the Joe Siddles of the world. The, the Justin Mornos of the world who was in Minnesota, I listen to what they're seeing, and then I try and see if numbers back that up. So where it starts, and if all of you at home or if you've been listening, it's the swing looks long. The swing looks big. The swing looks, you know, just like he's, I don't want to call it home run swing, but it's there's a little bit of an uppercut, and the swing is big. So I started there, um, and what you saw was compared those swings to last year's swings to 2021 swings, compared some other things. The big thing, the biggest thing that stood out, and I think it's connected to the big swings, is he's just swinging at a lot of pitches that aren't in the heart of the zone. You know, and the more and more kind of studies that we're seeing around baseball league-wide stuff that says, if you want to be a good hitter, swing at pitches in the heart of the zone, which is more than one pit, more than one ball width inside the zone. If you want to be a league average hitter, swing a lot of the pitches on the edge of the zone. And, you know, the the layman way of putting that is swing at pitchers' pitches, you're not going to do very well. Yeah. And he's doing a lot of that of late. And we can, you know, on StatCast, we can look at heart pitches, shadow pitches, waist pitches, things like that. I think the easiest way to contextualize it is, I mean, you can, if you can visualize those zones and ball width's awesome, but this is absolutely no questions asked to strike. This is absolutely no questions asked to ball. And then edge or shadow is... I don't know. I yeah. can't tell out of the hand. And this is why, you know, when, when we'll talk about Alec Manoa, he is not locating at the edges at all. Yeah. And that becomes a huge problem because everything is very obviously a ball or in the heart of the plate. And you can wait for something that looks like a strike and have a good idea. It's going to be over the heart of the plate. Vlad is kind of doing the the hitters issue with that, which is there isn't that level of discernment. And I know there are, and we'll split this up into his approach with zero and one strikes and yes. his approach with two because, like, it like Vlad has been one of the worst two-strike hitters in baseball all season, yeah. not even for the 15-game sample. And, uh, and a big part of that is chasing bad pitches out of the zone with yep. two strikes. And you can – that's a separate thing to diagnose than what you're talking about, which is this long swing and, you know, long or – slow uh it stays in the zone a little bit more but it's not as agile as it's coming through um and, and things like that and i guess to to take it back to how something like this happens i really do want it because we do associate a longer swing with lift yep in the ball and yep. we know that last year a big criticism of vladimir guerrero jr and why the home run power was down a little bit was 
he was not getting consistent lift yep. on his swings. And, um, you know, the high ground ball rate, the, especially in big situations, I know every Jays fan can think of like, hey, ground into a double play in a big spot. Um, even though the numbers were pretty good overall, the launch angle and the lift on his, his batted balls was not where you want it to be for a power hitter. Do you, how much do you think that is related? Like, is this, we'll, we'll get into some of what the problem is with a long swing and the swing decisions he's making with that long swing. But do you think the longer swing is an intentional response to some of the ground ball issues he's had in the past? I have no, like the quick answer is there's no way of knowing without asking him directly. But I do think like what we've heard in the past about Vladdy, and it's been a line, whether it's a Montoyo or a Schneider, somebody like that, they'll say Vladdy's not a home run hitter. Vladdy's a line drive hitter who happens to hit home runs because he hits the ball 150 miles an hour. Like he, his, I, I'd push back on that and say, if you hit 48 home runs in a season, I, you are a home run hitter. A hundred percent. But like he, when he's right, he's hitting line drives to right center that sometimes leave the park. You know, when he is right in that 2021, he was right for four of the six months or four and a half of the six months. When he's right, there are line drives there. Even his home runs, like the, the line I always used to call them, he hit these beautiful two irons. For home runs that just are gorgeous. They're not super low launch, but they they like rise. They're just beautiful. He's yeah. They're still on their way up oh, when they beautiful. leave the park. When he is and... right, when he's right, that's what his swing looks like. And this, I don't think personally, I don't think he's right right now. That's easy to say when he's not performing well, but that is the swing we're seeing right now is not the swing that is not Vladdy MVP swing. It's it's him. It looks like he's trying to launch the ball. It looks like he's trying to get the ball in the air now. And this is, like, this is, I wrote this in the thread, like, this is a be careful what you wish for scenario because all you heard on Blue Jays' Twitter last mm -hmm. year was stop hitting ground balls, why can't you pull the ball? Well, guess what? He's pulling the ball a lot, and he's putting the ball in the air a lot. Do we like this better? I, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I'll I'll take line drive, Vladdy. I'll take singles, flat. Like, I one of my takeaways. Line drive, Vladdy, by the way, is also a 300 hitter. Yeah. Like, he is a gifted, and this is where I always, this is like my second caveat, which you mentioned off the top. Like, he's still second best hitter on the team yeah. behind Bo. Like, this is, he's graded on an insane curve, but we talk about him because he's their second best player, potentially their best player. And he's, he's going right. to get paid a bajillion dollars at yes. some point. And so. he's just fun to watch. Like, the swing is fun to watch. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why we're not breaking down a 10-pitch walk from a bench player. Like, this stuff is fun. But don't it, threaten me. <laughs> I, I will do it. Uh, but he's, it just doesn't seem right. And I think the chase stuff, which we talked about and the big swing stuff goes hand in hand. Okay. So, so let's get into that. So a longer swing, a, a bigger swing, how a more trying to get more lift in the swing. How does that materialize? Like, how does that go in hand with swing decisions? Like, or, or just even swinging and missing a little bit more on pitches that you thought like, is it, is it a, the swings a little longer? So you have a little less time to make that swing decision out of the pitcher's hand because your, your swing is a little more, you know, it takes a little bit more load up. We've seen a little bit of a higher leg kick to time that and everything. Um, is that what you're seeing or, or like, where do you think these two things are, are connected? I think it's about, there's a viral video that's come out. That's literally it gets reposted. Like every, you're not going to Anthony Bass for it. No, I'm <laughs> no, that is a no, that's a no fly zone here. Um, Bobachet's dad talking to some hitter in a batting cage, and he's pointing out the different places where you hit the ball. 
if you catch it out front here, it's going to go like this. If you catch it out here, and it's an awesome video, by the way, if you're just a hitting nerd. But I think this is about where Vladdy's catching the ball. He's catching the ball well out in front of the plate, which, again, will tie itself to pulling the ball and will tie itself to putting the ball in the air. So what I think is when you're getting long, when you're catching the ball out front, if you want to catch the ball out front, you need to start your swing earlier. If you're going to start your swing earlier, you're not going to be identifying pitches as well as you'd want to. So that's the difference sometimes between taking a pitch on the edge and swinging at a pitch on the edge. And none of this is easy, right? Like there was a pitch, if you're a Shane McClanahan changeup, when it comes out of his hand, when it first comes out of his hand, that looks like a fastball down the middle. By the time it gets to you, it might be six inches off, might be just on the edge. But that's the kind of thing where if you're not fully thinking get the bat out, get the ball in the air. Maybe your swing decisions improve a little bit. With a shorter swing, do you also have, well, I I think you do, but I'll I'll phrase it to you as a question, a little bit more maneuverability in terms of, like, if you guess wrong, if you see it wrong initially, a shorter swing lets you put bat to ball and maybe foul something off that's otherwise a swing and miss? Yeah, like, it's, Vladdy's always going to have big moves. I think the term Siddle uses is big moves. Like, and that just means it's not just the swing. It's how he starts his swing. It's how his bat kind of rocks back before. Everything's a little big. I don't think any of that's going to change and all of a sudden get really tight. But what I do think is if he changes where he wants to make contact with the ball, and we're waiting for this. This is a nerd aside. We're waiting for this data to become, like, publicly available. Where you catch the ball over the depth of the plate and stuff. They're starting to track it, but they haven't made it public yet, which I like to – send Mike Petriello like little texts and emails every once in a while about I send him I I was bugging him the other day I want so obviously we have we have vertical launch angle and we have exit velocity and then we only have pull center oppo yes I want each degree yeah I want to I want to be able to highlight like the right center field power alley at Rogers Center and look at that percentage of the of the 90 degree yeah like it's there's so much nerdy stuff you can dive into on that search page. We just want more. Yeah. That's all. But so, yeah, I think if he changes, as I said, like I, in layman's terms, if he just thinks right center, but in like detailed terms for that, that means if he just lets the ball get a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. slow down everything, be late. Like, don't be afraid to be late on an inside fastball. Like he is still really, really good on inside fastballs, which again, to me, is another sign of, I'm thinking get started early. I'm thinking pull the ball, thinking. So to me, all of the, when you look at his entire picture of what's happening, it's that just, I feel like let the ball travel a little bit more, be a little bit more like the best, the best hitter on the team right now, Boba Um So you mentioned the inside fastballs and being able to work with those a little bit more. We're also seeing him swing more at inside pitches in general during this stretch. Do you think that's similarly related to this, trying to pull the ball in the air? Like, like an, whether it's a, I mean, maybe you guess fastball and you guess it right, but in general, swinging at more pitches on the inside um, suggests to me a, a more more of a pull approach. Do you think that's related as well? I, I do. Yeah, I do. I do think he's just a naturally, well, he's a naturally gifted hitter everywhere, but I think in that in particular, you put an inside fastball in there, he can quickly get the barrel there. So that's that's one of his God-given abilities. So I do think that's why he does swing so much there. But what we're seeing and this is something I put in a thread and talked about a little bit last year, uh, a few times that he scuffled. Um, he struggled on low pitches. Mm-hmm. That's continuing, and it's even like gotten more drastic, where 
if you want to get him out, if you work the ball low, not just, and I'm not even talking off the plate low, I'm talking on the plate, but down. If you put it at his knees, he's not damaging those pitches as much. And again, if you're thinking launch, if you're thinking that, that might, that's another kind of sign that might be, um, that the pull, get the ball in the air approach might be what he's kind of thinking right now. Um, so all of this is a little earlier in counts and he's swinging more earlier in counts. He's been a little bit more aggressive. Um, this is not related to the long swing and lifting the ball. This is maybe more of a, a swing decision thing and a managing a plate appearance thing, but him being one of the worst hitters in the league so far with two strikes this season, how much do you think, I, I mean, were it you, how much would that nudge you toward being aggressive earlier in counts? Not necessarily out of fear of hitting with two hit, two strikes because I'm it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'm sure there's a confidence level in that. But if that's in your head, for me, that's maybe nudging me to try to do my work a little earlier in the count. Yeah, uh, 100%. Like, I think that was a, a Steve Fellin Sportsnet stats that pulled that number not too long ago, like last week. Like, it's it was drastic. I hadn't even noticed that, to be honest, until last week. Um, but yeah, like... Uh, to me, the other sign of, or the other thing that stands out with a bit of this, with the swing decisions, with those two strikes things, and it kind of ties into um, what I wrote about Varsho last week, is I think he's pressing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I do think, like, the biggest thing, uh, what I really don't have a lot of whether patience for, I guess, uh, when people engage with me on social media, is if they say that Vladdy doesn't care, like, if they say that... It, to me, that doesn't track. It doesn't I track mean, what I mean, being a baseball player who doesn't care would seem to be like the easiest way to approach baseball, right? Yeah. You don't have to deal with all of this. You're just, I'm going to go up there and yeah. do my swing yeah. and see what happens. Yeah, like I just, I, to me, I think he, he, if we've seen it, if we've noticed anything in the last few years, he still kind of, he gets a little bit up and maybe a little overly excited for big moments. We saw it when he they first came back to the Dome. We saw it in uh, playoff games. Like, he just, he wants to be great. Like, he wants to, and the other thing about being in my role as a TV producer, you know, we, almost all the good shots that we have, we will put on TV, but some we don't, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's cameras everywhere all the time. We see these guys all the time. Like, just watching this guy, he cares, and he mm-hmm. wants to be great. He's got a God-given ability. I just think he's a little off right now, and I do think he's trying a little bit hard right now. Here's the other thing, too, is, like, if you didn't care, you'd probably still want the money and your individual... Like, you would still be pretty motivated to get your numbers, and we wouldn't be seeing... Like, if Vlad didn't care, I think we would be seeing a lot of home runs and nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, to me, is more a sign of a guy who's, like, just going up there to get his. Yeah, and we... Yeah, we saw him take a... When Duran was pitching, we saw him take a 103 mile an hour fastball and just poke it into mm-hmm. that first base, second base hole. Like that's, he's got a God given ability to hit. He's a great hitter. It's going to come back. They go through these phases. This is just, this just happens to be one of his down, down stretches of his career. Now, and I think the other point that like we're missing in this struggle is his month last month, April was better than any month he had in 2022. Right. You have to go back to the first two-thirds of 2021 when he was was a monster. Yeah, he was close. And I think, like, that's getting lost in the struggles of late is he was really close to being more towards, like, there's a narrative and one that I've talked about as well, like, that exists out there that, you know, MVP Vladi has only existed for three or four months out of his X-year career. You know, there's some truth to that, but also... And there's the Dunedin factor the that people and, hang on yeah. to and stuff, even though we try to adjust for that with yeah. some of these numbers. And- like, but 
this first month in April, he was very, very close to being that same mm-hmm. hitter. There were a few little things. Power wasn't all the way back. But, and I wonder, to me, I wonder is he had a really good start, some really good swing decisions. Underlying numbers were really good in April, but the power wasn't there. So I wonder if, as a young 24-year-old, whatever Vladdy is, if he's just started chasing power a bit. Mm-hmm. Which makes it um, so related to the swing, related to maybe chasing power. We, I, we have noticed a bit of a higher leg kick in his swing. Um, that is, is that related to just timing up the longer swing? I, I don't know. That's okay. just something that popped up on one. Like this is the part. But it had been noticeable. Like I yes. know you put the side by side in your Twitter thread, but like it, it has looked like and, and like it's. Something like that is maybe subtle when things are going well, but when you swing and miss, the higher leg kick like looks so obvious. Everything looks more obvious. Yeah. When it's like when Donaldson yeah. has had bad stretches and it's like, oh, you are like, like even with the Yankees last year when they were here in the Aaron yeah. Judge series, it was like, you have completely changed your mechanics because you can't catch up fastballs right now. And when you swing and miss, all of that is just like hyper magnified because like we can then tell what why you're doing it and then seeing the result that you hadn't fixed it. Anyway, uh, maybe that's something that we, we pick out with Joe Siddle or someone talks to Vlad about at the mm-hmm. park this week because it, uh, it is a little noticeable. Last one before we pivot off of Vlad is um, a lot of this has to do with the type of balls he's putting in play and what swing decisions he's making. And, you know, obviously the exit velos and stuff like that are still there. Something that I was very encouraged by in his April that has really uh, fallen apart in may and this is related to some of what we're talking about but the 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 degree to which it's true is pretty dramatic his walk rate has literally cut in half from april to may he has gone from april it looked like he was going to have the second highest walk rate season of his career and may he has walked so infrequently that that's now down to a career low mark to a third of the way through the season Obviously, if you're swinging a little bit more, if you're pressing a little bit more, you're not going to take as many walks if you're sw- if you're chasing a little bit more. Um, but do you see pitchers approaching Vladimir Guerrero Jr. less carefully than maybe they did when he was a 12% walk guy? Maybe. I, I don't see pitching him more carefully. I just see him swinging at more pitches on the edge, Okay, like we said earlier. And the one thing about Vladdy is he's got such crazy hand-eye coordination and bat-to-ball skills, he's never going to be super high walk rate. I don't think he'll ever be a... 12% again. Yeah, like, I, I, he can get the bat on the ball and put the ball in play so much. It's probably more fun than taking a walk. It is more fun, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I don't think he'll ever be elite like that, but it ties back to what we were going to before, swinging early in counts at pitcher's pitches. And that I think that has more to do with taking away walks than anything else. Um, I was talking to Justin... Morneau when we were in Minnesota, and he mentioned Vladdy's putting the ball in play on the first or second pitch way more than the league average these days. And again, to me, that ties back to, like, if he's doing that all on good, drivable pitches over the middle of the plate, I'd be, I'd say, you know, I'd applaud him and say, keep doing that. But it's on pitches that pitchers want him to swing at. So I don't think they're pitching him more carefully. I think they're throwing the same pitches. He's just swinging at more of the ones that they want him to swing at. Well, that's not good. No. That's, uh, you don't want to do you that. To okay, so that. you mentioned earlier that he could maybe take something from a teammate of his who is hitting at just an unbelievable level right now. So Bo Bichette, obviously also an elite bat-to-ball guy. One of the reasons I've always been okay with 
Bobachet being aggressive early in counts when he sees something that he's looking for is that his two strike approach projects as very good because he makes he has like an 83% contact rate and in the zone that's like 90% like he is about as well equipped to fight off two strike pitches as you can. Um, and and there have been reasons for a lot of optimism about Bo's bat over the years. And there have been hot stretches. What we've seen from him so far this year, and even if you want to go back to September as well, when he really turned it on, I don't know that there are, there definitely aren't 10. And I don't know that there are five better hitters than Bo Bichette right now. Obviously guys with more natural power. And so like an OPS or something like that might, not rank him that high, but in terms of the craft of hitting, it's hard to imagine there are more than a handful of guys doing it better than Boba Shea right now. Yeah. Uh, to me, he's top five in baseball right now. And as a 25 year old shortstop who with an insane work ethic and who you only project to get bigger, stronger, understand the strike zone more, understand what pitchers are doing to him, which he's already shown a crazy ability in the last few months. He's a top five position player in baseball right now. Now, some people would say that's a little too much. That's and I and I get that. And he, some of the quibbles going to come yeah. down. Like the metrics grade him as slightly above average defensively at shortstop right yep. now. I know some fans will. They know he's below average. He hasn't had a throwing error in a minute yep. either. He's on pace for a, uh, half the errors that he had the last two seasons. Um, and, and even if you look at something like WRC plus, weighted runs created plus, which takes everything you do, tries to adjust for park factors and league factors and things like that, it has him ninth. And the names he's behind are MVP, like yep. like Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna Jr., Freddie Freeman, Jordan Alvarez, Aaron Judge. Like that's the kind of guy he's in a class with right now. A bit behind those guys, but like a nudge ahead of Paul Goldschmidt yep. and Pete Alonso, who leads the league in home runs. And like, to me, when you add the defensive aspect of when the defense isn't a minus, when he plays a average to slightly above average defense, that's what slots him ahead of some of those first base DH types because he is more valuable at that position mm-hmm. if he's putting up that kind of offense. So yeah, I, the, the only other guys, you know, if we sort by something like wins above replacement right now, which tries to take some of the defensive yep. value, positional value, base running and stuff like that, like Wander Franco's ahead of him and Marcus Semien's basically even with him. But when it comes to those premium positions, that's uh, that's about it, right? I mean, Sean Murphy, because he's a catcher, yeah. is kind of at the top of the league right now in that. But for middle infielders, it's like Franco, Bichette, and Semien are the guys who are doing enough damage with the stick while also playing those premium positions capably to, in Franco's case, plus plus. Franco was insane to see in person in Tampa. Yes. He, he is so, so good. I can't believe Tampa has another player like that for Not another fair. four or five. Years. So with Bo, um, in terms of that approach, in terms of the professional hitter element of it, what do you think, like if Vlad's up there hitting third and he's looking at Bo Bichette's plate appearances, number two, or they're doing film sessions or whatever, what could Vlad pull from what Bo's been able to do so so effectively? This uh, the key word there is pull. Um, <laughs> Vlad, or sorry, Bo, almost never tries to pull a fastball. Like he is thinking now he did the other day because on that inside, I thought that was going to hit the knob of his bat. Like that's how inside and how last second an adjustment that was. That is one of the more insane home runs. Yeah. That's like, that's, that was a sign of just how hot Bo is uh, to start this season. But to me, if you watch Bo's approach, this is a huge simplification, but he will take fastballs and hit them the other way or up the middle. And if a team, makes a mistake, hangs a breaking ball, hangs a cutter, hangs spin, or leaves off speed in the middle of the plate, he'll try and drive those pitches. He'll try and get the bat head out front, as we were talking about, to pull those. 
And I think that's where Vladdy could take something from Bo is fastball. If you see a fastball, look center, feel center, keep those hands, the hands, the, to use a technical hitting term, keep the hands inside the baseball. Mm -hmm. There are 163 qualified hitters in baseball right now. You know who's 163rd in pull percentage? Bobachette. Bobachette. Yep. He is. He has pulled the ball less than any hitter in baseball this year. And now he's it. a unicorn. Not he, everyone he is, can do of this course. Approach. Like a lot of guys, yeah. if they tried to go that whole field heavy, are going to lose some power, right? And like Bo doing this while also leading the team in home runs, um, and like obviously lots of extra base hits is. Like, yeah, that's something Bo Bichette can do. If you look at the other names who are pulling the ball that infrequently, it's like all Steven slap Kwan hitters. Yeah, stuff. DJ LeMahieu, yeah. Gio Urshela, like that kind of guy. Gene Segura. Yeah. It's not, uh, It's not. but he is dead last in pull rate. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about someone else who's, uh, you mentioned earlier, had some struggles of his own in Dalton Varsho, but the base running there, some of the defensive metrics say, without question there. Uh, we're also going to look at the pitching matchups for this series and see what's going on with Yusei Kikuchi's slide. And I don't know, we'll give it a couple minutes, but we'll try to do the Alec Manoa thing again <laughs> and figure some of this out. Uh, Chris Black's going to stay with us as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 and Sports at 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The JD Bunkers Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Still with me is Chris Black, Sportsnet producer at down to black on Twitter. There's a lot of good Vlad stuff there. And obviously uh, some Boba stuff to celebrate on the pitching side. Everyone's kind of flipped roles this year, except for Kevin Gosman. Kevin Gosman's still Kevin Gosman, but Alec Manoa is occupying the Jose Barrios uh, spot of, Ooh, this is going to be a season long. How do you fix this? And moving target uh, conversation feel a little bit like Barrios has been this year stripling just because like maybe expectations got low and now he's been just downright solid. You say Kikuchi is still you say Kikuchi though. <laughs> and that has been true because the stuff is obviously very good. And when he's on, he looks tremendous, but also there are some red flags. You say Kikuchi will start tonight against the Milwaukee Brewers. He had a tremendous April. May was a bit of a step back. What are you seeing with Yusei Kikuchi's, um, I, I guess we'll call it regression. I, I think under the hood, it's not the same issues regressing as much. Um, but ERA-wise, his regression back to uh, a 2022 level of Yusei Kikuchi. Um, before his last start, I wrote a thread on Twitter where I said it seemed as if the slider was the issue. But I wouldn't even becoming call it. more of a cutter again, which exactly. I think he he gave lip service to shortly after yeah. your thread as well. He's like, yeah, I read that after thread. The, and he's right. <laughs> no, that is not what happened. <laughs> um, but you know what we saw was the slider speeding up, so the slider moving from mid eighties to almost 90, 90 a lot of the time, maybe even harder than ninety. Um, but throwing it harder, throwing it with less break. And for anyone who doesn't know, when you when you picture a slider and the movement on it, while throwing it harder can make it a deadlier pitch, that is a it's less time that the pitch has to move and for that break yep. to take effect. So so sometimes, especially with 
like non-elite velocity sliders, we do tend to see that velocity and horizontal movement um, trade-off. Yep, and personally, I think the amount of brake and the velocity isn't as much of an issue as where it maybe has led him, and where that's led him is he's not able to command it as well. So April sliders were heavy, uh, again, to tie back to. It's funny how often the conversations of analytics when you're diving into what's working for a pitcher and or what's working for a hitter um, focus on the edges of the strike zone. Mm -hmm. And this is what it is with, with Kikuchi's slider slash cutter is in April, it was on the edge of the strike zone. He was getting great results with it. In May, it's finding the middle of the plate more and it's getting hit. Like sometimes you hate to make it this simple, but that's kind of what it felt like leading into last start. Last start, he left some sliders and cutters over the middle of the plate. They got hit. And after the game, as you said, he did not read my Twitter thread, (laughs) but they talked about location, slider, cutter, needs to be better, needs to stay out of the middle of the plate. So, like, Kikuchi, to me, is pretty straightforward, is when he can... That's his pet pitch, for lack of a better term. It's the pitch he likes. It's the pitch he feels he can throw for a strike the best. I'm not saying that based on anything... Uh, I've heard from him directly. It's just if you look at yeah, what you he throws he pitches, yeah. in pitch situations when he needs to throw a strike. Um, so I do think like old school baseball and certain people will say, just throw your fastball more, throw that more. Well, some people can't command their fastball very well. And I would put Kikuchi sometimes in that group. And when he was having success with his fastball in April, it wasn't about uh, – wasn't about working the edges perfectly with his fastball and getting ahead with his fastball. He was throwing that pitch. He was getting ahead with his slider and then using that fastball later in counts because then he can be a little more erratic with it. If hitters are in swing mode, if they're in defend the plate mode, they will chase that fastball that's up a little bit over the plate. They will chase that fastball that's out uh, on the outer edge of the plate. So to me, the slider sets everything up. It's the pitch he likes. Um, but he's just been leaving it out over the plate. And he's given up, uh, to your point about the fastball location, is, you know, he's uh, he's given up 14 home runs, which uh, only Jordan Lyles has given up more. And then among guys who have allowed roughly the number of home runs, as you say, Kikuchi, uh, Waldachuk in Oakland is the only one who's pitched fewer innings. So in terms of how often you've given up the long ball in how many innings, Kikuchi third worst yep. in the league roughly. But you look and... and you know, I mean, most of the May damage has come on the fastball when it comes to the long ball. Um, but, yeah, if you locate it well, that's not a... To me, I'm okay with home runs yeah. with Kikuchi. It reminded me a little bit when he was right in April, he was still giving up home mm-hmm. runs. He was still giving up hard contact. It reminded me of Robbie Ray when he was here. I'm fine. If nobody's on base, yeah. the home run doesn't yeah. hurt you that if much, you right? Get, yeah, if you don't walk people, challenge hitters in the zone... Yeah, every once in a while you'll give up home runs. You throw hard. It's a hard fastball. You're challenging guys. I'm okay with that, but it's it's when there's more traffic on the bases. It's when you're giving up a lot of contact where there's problems. Okay, so speaking of walk rate, uh, we, we don't have enough time to go as deep on Alec Manoa as we maybe would otherwise. He's going to pitch again tomorrow, and we'll set that up on tomorrow's show. He has a 14.9% walk rate right now, so f- almost 15% of the batters he faces – He's walking uh, with 40 innings pitched or more. Only two other 
players are walking more. It's Edward Cabrera and Brad Keller. I don't think you're going to see either of those guys on Cy Young ballots uh, this year. And if we look at, hey, is this sustainable over a longer stretch of time? There are only three players in the last 20 years who've had a walk rate that high and made it 100 innings in a season. And they are not names you want to compare your ace to. <laughs> Victor Zambrano, Tyler Chatwood, Daniel Cabrera. Uh, the other, the only comp from a Jays perspective, Kyle Drabeck's 2011 and 2012, where he got, he didn't get quite to 100 innings, but he, they let him, they trotted him out there as a starter with this kind of walk rate for uh, too long. How, like, Obviously, we can get into a lot of slider shape and demeanor on the mound and compete and stuff like that with Alec Manoa. But how much of this is just going to flow from you got to stop walking every sixth batter you face? Yeah, I do think partly the issue is not being able to finish batters off. So because he can't get swings and misses as much as he has in the past, because he can't miss bats or elicit soft contact as much, he's not finishing off at bats which then in part leads to more walks. The command needs to be better. We all know that. Um, but I actually think I want to be like early on the, on the Manoa is back train. I think he's close. Okay. I, I think he's, he seems a little bit more engaged. He seems the stuff is getting better. It seems closer. He had the start, I think two starts ago. The last one was bad in Tampa. Yeah. The one but before, two starts ago at home against Baltimore. Yeah. Like I, I really think he's getting close. It seems as if they're working a lot on the slider, as you mentioned, shape, zone, hitting the edges, a lot of stuff we've hit on already throughout this hour. I feel like he's close. And I just feel like the a lot of innings last year, big jump, uh, didn't have like a great spring. Seemed to be the narrative was that he was working towards being ready for opening day. My guess is we'll hear a different you know, regardless of how the rest of this year finishes, you're not going to hear that from Manoa and from the Jays next year. No, in spring. it'll be you're ready for the it's start of be, spring training. Yeah, it's going to be working. Like, it's about, it's going to be firing all systems go by the time you're getting to opening day. So I think he was behind for whatever reason. He worked, he had a, that's a big innings jump for a guy in his second or third year uh, to go from 110, 120 to 200. Um, so I do think he's just behind I think he started the year slow. I think he was playing catch up, but I think he's close. Now, you know, who knows? Like, like the command is, the tough part is when you're working, you know, we've heard this cliche uh, with hitters a lot. If you start the year slow, you're staring at those numbers on the jumbotron on the screen. You're, you're seeing for him, you're seeing your ERA up at 550. You're Buddy, go to the splits page. Yeah. Just <laughs> look at your June ERA, start, yeah. or I guess tomorrow's still a May start. But after that, look yeah. at your June Turn ERA. The page. <laughs> Turn the page. But I, I, I honestly think I trust the 21, 22 numbers. Like, that's it's not a small sample. It's 50 starts worth of him being one of the best young pitchers, literally, of the last 40 or 50 years. And I don't think that all of a sudden disappears. I I am not, I'm going to bet more on that side of things than the Kyle Drabeck side of things. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm just not going to let 
Kyle Drabeck enter my, my yes, mind or my mouth. I thought I had uh, erased that part of Blue Jays history from yeah, my memory. I, I'm sorry. Um, okay, last one very, very quickly. Uh, there's been some a bit of negativity around Dalton Varsho, just uh, some of the struggles at the plate. But defensively, um, are you more on the side of defensive run saved, which has the Jays outfield as like the best defensive outfield in baseball and like by a, a long shot? Or uh, the stat cast measure outs above average has them uh, about average, just the uh, hair ahead. Are you liking what you're seeing from Varsho and left and center and the three center fielder approach in general defensively? I like it. Yeah. Um, I think that outs above average, like it is simply a ball gets in the air. Do you catch it or not? Essentially, like they give a uh, and and I think weird things can mess with that number a bit. And it's not capturing things as well as like, hey, that double became a single, that triple yep. became a double. Exactly. That kind of stuff. And if you lose a ball in the sun, I mean, like, you know, like now, you know, you can ask yourself, should we? Should we still penalize them for that? Maybe. But I think that Varso's had a few of those, and just Jay's outfielders have had a few of those, wind or sun or something like that. And they have made, as you said, a lot of really good little plays mm-hmm. to reduce, to keep guys one base shorter than they would have been. I really like the defense. Um, Kiermaier's been great. I really like Varsho's D. I felt bad about those two. Um, we we were laughing because I built a I built a outs above average leaderboard for the season um, that has Kiermaier and Varsho uh, in the top five. I built it at the start of this road trip when I was on, and I was waiting for a good defensive play to, you know, lead us into that leaderboard. And literally I would show people, I'd show people in our pregame meeting every time, here's the, we're going to get this in on a good defensive play. I kept asking our graphics operator, Susan, to update it every day. I'm like, don't worry, we're going to get this in soon. We're going to get this in. And then those two plays happened on the Saturday. I'm like, here we go. And I was like, nope. But on Sunday, we, yeah, he we had got the, the jumping he had the catch. Yeah. We got it in. Uh, we were all very happy. I was happy slash relieved. What a win. <laughs> it's a win for me more than anything. But like, I really like the defense. Um, I like the intangible stuff. I posted a clip on the Saturday of him going to give Vladdy a, yeah. a pat on the shoulder, which is little things. It's not, it's, it's not as important as, you know, 50 other things in the grand scheme of things, but I thought it was notable. It matters. It's a long season. Yeah. And you got you to live with these guys. He seems like a really likable guy. I, I haven't spoken to him yet, um, but he seems like a really likable guy. The team seems to have taken to him, and the base running has been awesome too. Yeah, scoring from first on a, on a bloop single is a, a pretty big deal. Chris Black. Producer at Sportsnet, at Down to Black on Twitter. Thanks so much for coming in, man, taking the time. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll set you up for the Brewers series. We'll talk to Sam Decker, former Toronto Raptor and giant Milwaukee Brewers fan, as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sportsnet 590 and Sportsnet 360. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Hope you're having a nice Tuesday. Jay's back in action tonight. First of three against the Milwaukee Brewers down at Rogers Center. Uh, Night games today and tomorrow. Nice 1 p.m. start on Thursday. You could skip out of work. It'd be great. Uh, Our next guest follows this Milwaukee Brewers team uh, at such a degree that he wants, like, he's pining for Jesus Aguilar to come back and see if there's anything left in the bat. Uh, it's former Toronto Raptor. It's current London lion. It is the BBL MVP, Sam Decker. Sam, how are you, man? Doing good. Thanks for, 
Thanks for having me on. Good to hear from you again, as always. And it's always fun to fun to chat with you and catch up. Yeah, man. Uh, how annoyed of uh, me saying BBL MVP uh, are you, given the the other meaning for BBL? <laughs> I know you love it. You've, you've given me some flack for that, but um, you know, it's 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 nice to have the other three letters MVP next to it. I've never had that as a pro, so it's pretty cool to uh, you know have this have the year I had and see that being. Uh, you know, rewarded with accolades. It's something that I've never had before. So it's a, it's a pretty cool feeling. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy and, uh, and I'm really blessed. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about the Brewers, but I do want to talk about a little bit about the year that you've had. So you make this decision to, mm-hmm. to go over to the London lions of the, the British basketball league and Ryan Schmidt, who, yeah. who had coached in the Raptors organization before is the coach there. Uh, um, it's obviously you guys have a ton of team level success. You have some individual success. What has this last year been like for you? Just, you know, going and playing basketball in England and living in England for yeah. a year, your, your, your kid was born there. Um, it seems like this last year has been pretty fascinating for you. Yeah, it has been. And, you know, I don't know how much Raptors or Toronto sports fans know my story after I left Toronto. I finished that year in Turkey and then really took a leap of faith that next summer saying, you know, let's let's try this London thing. And it's a team that is trying to rebrand and remold and, and, and you know, become a, a hotbed for basketball across Europe. And they wanted me to be a catalyst uh, in, in that. And, you know, it was, it, it was a project that they saw big aspirations for. And it went, but went better than I could have ever imagined. You know, we made the Euro Cup playoffs for the first time in a British team's history. Um, just watching the organic growth of basketball in London and in the United Kingdom is incredible. This year, it just like blew up and it's only getting bigger. So it was really cool to be a part of something that special and in a place that cool and that big um, and kind of to be a, the, the face of basketball in London of all places is like in, insane for me to think of. So um, it went better than you could ever imagine. And also, you know, so many Canada connections, you know, we have Canadian international uh, Aaron best on our team, Ryan Schmidt, like you said, our assistant coach, Ashton Smith uh, is from Canada. We have um, just so many Canada connections going on. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Uh, me as a former Raptor, uh, it was pretty cool to see all that come together in London and, um, and now OG in, within the ownership. Yeah. So we're, hoping can, we're hoping Toronto can uh, become a, a big, a big fan delegation of the London Lions. Yeah, it has to be. Like, I, I obviously there's Raptors 905 here. I refer to you guys as Raptors UK. Even like, like yeah. Tomislav Zubcic was a Raptors draft pick at one point. Uh, yeah. Never ended up playing with the team, but there, there's no end to the connections. Ha, has OG given you a hard time yet? Like, I know you guys are close, and he's he's kind of your boss now. Yeah. Well, he doesn't like. I, I call him boss, and he doesn't like that. Uh, <laughs> makes him really un. It makes him really uncomfortable. As as you you know how. Uh, OG is in the media. He's cheeky like that all, all the time. So um, he that deal, you know, got announced, and you know, we we have such a good relationship. We talk a lot, and um, you know, I'm really happy he's on board. And the funny mm-hmm. story about that is, he was my, uh, you know, we we would lift weight, do weight weightlifting together when I was at the Raptors, and he actually came to me and said, "Hey, there's this team in London that I, I might want for them," and it's so weird, like looking back on that conversation and now I'm playing for that team and he's 
part owner of that team. It's kind of kind of wild how how things work out. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and obviously you guys get to continue having that that friendship and stuff. Uh, should be a blast. And, and you, um, you liked it so much. You've re-upped with them. You're, you're gonna you're gonna stick with London for a little bit here. Yeah, I signed a three-year extension um, this past winter, which is really exciting. We love it. The family loves it there. And I just see it as an opportunity that you can't pass up. And once you're in something like that that feels that special, it's something you want to hold on to. So um, I'm happy. I'm content. Um, Obviously, the NBA has been the dream forever um, and still is. But this, while I'm not in it, this is the best, best place to be and nowhere I would rather be than playing in London with the Lions, with our staff and front office. It's, it's you know, A1 through and through. So um, I'm, I have no complaints. That's great. And, and so you're back now. You're, you're in KC. You post last night, uh, you know, your, your awesome deck set up for watching uh, Game 7. We can talk a little bit about the Celtics blowing that. But I'm curious, too. Uh, so, so Kevin Harlan, who is your father-in-law, was on our morning show this morning. I followed him on our morning. Like, he, he was on at, I think, 730 this morning. Uh, and then I was on right Ooh. after him. I'm like, hey, I got Sam coming on uh, later. How cool is it for you to, like, you're watching a game like that. Obviously, you're a huge basketball fan in addition to being a player. And then your father-in-law is on the call and is like the absolute goat at it. Um, what's that like for you? It, it's pretty cool. Um, I think you get a better, um, you know, as, as you know, in any job, when you start to see the work that other people put in on what they do, you respect it even more. And to see the sacrifices he makes for his family and for whatever broadcast partner he's working with, and the hard work that goes on behind the scenes to make the viewing experience for the consumer um, as smooth as possible, uh, it's, it's, you, you become proud of the things he does and uh, what they're able to do on you know, a broadcast every night. And he hasn't been home in weeks. So um, you know, th- those guys are all running on fumes here late, late at the end of the year. And to be on like that is not an easy thing, as you know. So... Um, you know, the summer he, he, he earns a, a good couple months off, you know, trying to re- recoup his brain and his voice. And then, uh, you know, football season's around the corner again, but, uh, it's really cool to watch him and all the hard work he puts in. So you're in your off season a little bit too. I know you're rehabbing a, a foot injury right now. And, and then obviously this is professional basketball. There's no real off season, but without actual games to play, this is when you pivot into hardcore Milwaukee Brewers fan territory um how are you feeling with how this team has started so far they're a bit of a tough team to figure out right now it is it's 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 a lot of ups and downs that I, I feel like every spring you know going into june is very similar for the brewers we you know hot start everyone's healthy feeling good and then the injury bug hits and this year it started with you know game one you know Urias goes down with a hammy. He should be back soon. But then, you know, the the pitching staff got hit early. And when you have guys that are, you know, usually arms that are reliable that aren't out there, then you're kind of piecemealing a rotation together and, you know, calling guys up to get innings out of them. And then um, that puts a lot of, you know, weight on on the bats. And when the bats go cold, then it's, you know, you go from being 13, 14 games over 500 now, 
I think, what, 28 and 25, which still in first place, the Central is a little weak this year. It's not like <laughs> your AL East, which is insane. Um, so it's, you know, they're, they're fighting through. They had a good win the other day, and hopefully they can carry that on in Toronto. But um, it's very up and down right now. I think they're just, Craig Council's just looking for some steady bats to keep in that lineup and just, uh, you know, try to get some get some hits on the board, really, and, and, and create a spark. Yeah, the steadiest bat in that lineup might be our old friend here from Toronto in Rowdy Tellez, a second consecutive year where he's uh, a pretty great find from the Brewers. How huge has he been to, you know, the, this offense that's searching for runs game to game to have a guy like that um, as productive as he's been, as consistent as he's been? How big has Rowdy been for this team? He's been huge. Um, I think one big thing that, um, you can take from any sport is, you know, Rowdy was throughout his career. It was kind of a platoon guy. You know, you, let, let's put you in against a couple righties or pinch hit spots against the you know, right-handed arm. And when he came to Milwaukee, it was kind of, Hey, it's your, your first base to lose. And I think a guy hearing that, you know, knowing he's in the lineup every day, getting four at bats, um, that can unlock something. And it, it has, you know, he's been so clutch, big moments coming through when he barrels a ball, it's, it's, it's out of the park almost every time it seems like. So he's been a, a great, great mainstay, you know, hitting fourth or fifth in our lineup. And, you know, it's one of those things that with a guy like that, that's reliable, it's, you know, it, it elevates the whole lineup. But of course, a guy like Willie Adamas the other day gets hit by a line drive in the dugout. Now he's out. It's like one of those things that just, once the team's starting to feel like they're coming back, it's just like another guy goes down. So, um, you know, Rowdy's been great. Hopefully he gets a little love in Toronto and, hmm. um, you know, can put out a show. I'm sure he will. And, uh, I mean, he was well-liked here. And I think everyone understood that with Vlad moving to first, he was going to be a little bit blocked. It turns out to be one of those kind of win-win uh, situations. Uh, more of a win for the Brewers, given how things have turned out, but yeah. but win-win-ish. Um, so the, probably the, o- the only other, like, bright spot, really, for the Brewers on the offensive side has been... Owen Miller, who's sometimes leading off, sometimes hitting Cleave. He's all, he's all over the place. Um, this is not a guy with a track record of, of doing much with the bat. Uh, are you a believer in Owen Miller being a guy? Um, I mean, I, I want to be. I, yeah, I, I, love, I love Owen Miller. I actually played basketball and baseball against him in high school. Oh, cool. He, was, uh, he went to Ozaki High School, which is 20 minutes from my high school. They're at the same conference. And um, so... Yeah, I played Owen. He was two years younger than me, I believe. And, um, you know, he's, I think the biggest thing for him, he's not striking out. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's putting the bat, bat on the ball, and he's got a really high, um, you know, batting average on balls in play. And that's kind of the thing. It takes some luck sometimes in sports. And, you know, if you can get the bat on the ball. And um, I think that you can see his confidence going up. And now he's really barreling balls and, you know, driving to the gaps and, um, guys like him and Brian Anderson are have been big on an opposite field approach, and I think that's kind of with our right-handed bats is kind of becoming infectious. Guys kind of try to go the other way, and Contreras is starting to do that as well. So, you know, hopefully those guys can keep it going. Owen has earned every day at bats, so you know you, get, you kind of got to ride that until it doesn't work anymore. And then guys like Yelich and them will you know continue to heat up and. Hopefully by, you know, July, August, we're in a good spot that we can, um, you know, have some consistency going forward. 
are we starting to see it from Yelich at all? Because it's been, uh, I mean, obviously a guy that talented when he has a quote unquote bad season, it's like, oh, he becomes a league average player at the plate, you know, 745 OPS or something like that. Um, So his version of having a bad season is different from a lot of guys. But are you starting to to see Yelich turn it around? Because it has been a bit of a a tough go for him this year. Yeah, I think so. It's funny, last year, you know, know, Brewers fans were so down on him because, you know, they want MVP Christian back, and that's just hard to replicate after the injury he went through with his knee. But he was still the team leader in hits, runs, on base percentage, RBI. Like he was still the team leader in like every major category. And this year it's kind of the same. Now he's more of a, a table setter. Um, you know, he's he's but he's being more aggressive, which fans are liking to see. He's crushing middle middle um, fastball counts. He's really aggressive, which you know that's when his power comes to play. And, um, you know, his, his timing has been, has been a lot better over the last you know, month, month and a half. So, um, you know, we're, we're, it's, it's funny. You, you see him turning a corner uh, all the time, and, and then it'll be something with, uh, you know, a back, and, you know, flare-up or something with his knee. So, you know, hopefully it's really just keeping him healthy. And, um, you know, he's such a pro with the, with the way he goes about it and a great clubhouse guy. So I think he's invaluable to what they do. Um, you know, he's earned every dollar he's earned everything he's had. So hopefully, you know, here, you know, we get a chance to see him in big moments coming up and, um, you know, really finding himself in the Christian that he used to be, but, um, still now the, the way he impacts the game is something the team needs every night. So let's play out a scenario where the Brewers are ahead in one of these games uh, during this week, and it's a close game. Devin Williams has not had a lot of save opportunities this year. The Brewers have tended to either lose or blow teams out uh, in a bit of a weird thing. He's made, you know, we're we're a third of the way in. He's only had eight save opportunities still. Uh, He has only allowed one run all season still. Where is your, like, can you remember ever being this confident in a Brewers closer as you are in Devin Williams? Yes, Josh Hader. <laughs> like it's crazy. It's crazy to think we had two of them at the same time. Um, and Hader's, you know, he went through that lull last year, but he's back to his true form. Um, it's crazy to think. Yeah, I guess he went guys. thirty-four for thirty-five. That's the I just brought Hader's numbers up. I, didn't, I obviously yeah. know he's good and the electric side, but I think maybe his tough last year made me forget just how good his twenty twenty-one was. Yeah, Hader. I mean, he was back to back. NL reliever of the year, but Williams right there, you know, his, his stuff is so nasty and it, it all comes out the same arm slot, which so every pitch looks the same until it gets to the plate. And I think that's the thing. Um, and he's got, it's kind of a, a screwball fork ball type thing. He calls it the airbender, but <laughs> it goes any way he wants to, and he can manipulate it and he can kind of rise the two seam a little bit. And it's, it's really insane watching him because it looks like he's just toying with batters. Um, but, you know, council likes to use him only with the lead um, and, and save his arm for, you know, hopefully a playoff push here. So, um, you know, if the, the Blue Jays, if the Blue Jays fans get to watch him pitch, I, I, it's not a great sign, but it's also <laughs> fun. fun. It, it's a fun guy to watch because he, he can make that ball look like a Frisbee and it's really, really, really fun to watch. And he's one of the greats right now. Yeah, that changeup or whatever he calls it is uh, is is filthy. Okay, Sam, um, that's this year's Brewers team. But you've been a, a fan of this team for a long time. I know you you tweeted some picture out the other day that had like Corey Hart and Prince Fielder in it. Um, yeah. I, and I, I 
I've been thinking about this kind of thing because I had Travis Snyder and Ricky Romero both on my show last week. And like that era of the Blue Jays is like, that's my Blue Jays era. Even though I cover the team now, that's I'll always yeah. think of that group as like my group of Blue Jays. What Brewers team or, or what group of Brewers is that for you? Like what is the Sam Decker Brewers team from this team's past? For sure. Well, growing up, I was, I was watching them lose a hundred, 110 games every year in the early 2000s. And, you know, our greatest names were Richie Sexton and, and then Ben Sheets came along who was awesome, but couldn't stay healthy. And then really that, that, that crop of the farm system guys that came up, you know, starting with Ricky Weeks and then JJ Hardy and then Prince Fielder and then Ryan Braun and Corey Hart, like all of a sudden this talent just like comes out of nowhere and they were so fun. They were so uh, enthusiastic. And, and I, I, as a kid, you, you like exciting players. And they had a bunch of them. You know, they, it was, you know Prince Fielder like, was the most fun guy to watch because he hits the ball a mile and you know, flexes. And um, you have, it, the, those 2007, 2008 you know, teams that have made that, those play, that first playoff push that I ever was a part of watching – you know, those are teams I'll never forget. And, um, you know, that CC Sabathia team that he kind of just put the entire city on his back and pitched every three days to get into the playoffs. Like, those are memories you don't forget because we never experienced winning in my childhood as a Brewers fan. So seeing those teams do that, um, those are core memories that, you know, become unlocked. Um, so since then, I, it just, it, you know, it, it tied me to being – a fan and I still watch as a fan, not as an athlete. So, um, you know, good or bad, I'm, I'm riding with them. And, um, you know, those teams with Brawny and, and weeks and Hardy, those guys really, you know, created a, a, a huge fan. And, you know, I have them to thank for my, um, allegiance to the Brewers. It's funny too. Like I remember at the time, the hall for CC Sabathia was supposed to be like this legendary package. And then you look and it's like, yeah, Michael Brantley became really good, but like nothing else from yeah. that deal. And then like the numbers <laughs> the, down the stretch that season were insane. Like he went 11 and two for you guys with seven complete yeah. games after the yeah. trade. deadline. Like, it's just ridiculous, man. Uh, that's a, yeah. That's a, yeah. yeah. I think it was like Matt Laporta. Yeah. And Zach Jackson, like, supposed to be our, he, he was like our number one prospect, but it didn't, he had, you know, some injuries and didn't pan out. And, you know, Sabath, Sabathia was pitching nine innings a night. Hit, I think he had three or four home runs for us. <laughs> and like Unreal. An, an AL pitcher coming in and started hitting and uh, should have had a perfect game, but the Pittsburgh uh, score gave them a hit, which I still think is insane. Um, but I think he was kind of gassed on the line and, uh, the Phillies roughed him up, you know, in game one in Philadelphia. And that was kind of the, uh, the end of our special run, but that was, those are, those are really, really, really fun times for me. All right. Last one before I let you go, Sam, uh, we haven't gotten a city connect Jersey here in Toronto yet, but the baby blue brew crew with the yellow font on the front that Milwaukee has, you like those or no thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, thumbs up. Um, if I were, I, I don't love the hat. They say four one four. I wish they had. They have a, a sleeve patch that is a a, uh, a, a like a hamburger grill. <laughs> yeah, that's also a baseball. That should be on the hat. That is such a good logo. I have a. I have like the the bullpen jacket version, 
and it's really, really cool. So I'm I'm petitioning to get the 414 off the hat and put the grill on the middle of the hat, and those jerseys would be perfect. Yeah, I love that. The little tailgate logo with the uh, the baseball seeds. That would be like, that's like yeah. an all-timer minor league baseball logo, too. I, I'd love oh, yeah. to see it. Um, Sam Decker, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. This has been great. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, hope, hope the recovery goes well in the summer ahead for you is an awesome one. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, this week goes good for my team and Bo Bichette doesn't make us look bad. I think he will. He's uh, locked into another level right now, man. Maybe Devin Williams can get him, but I don't know about Adrian Hauser and Julio Teran and and stuff like that. Thanks, Sam. (laughs) All right. Thanks guys. See ya. Sam Decker, former Toronto Raptor, uh, current London Lion, the MVP of the British Basketball League this year. was also second team All-Euro Cup. And as he mentioned there, a pretty cool thing for the London Lions and all of uh, basketball in England to see a British team make the Euro Cup playoffs for the first time. So if anyone doesn't know, over uh, overseas, they run similar to soccer where you have your country league and then teams also play in uh, in an extra league that that's you know a postseason league or a, you know Champions League version. Um, Euro League is the top version of it. Euro Cups kind of the next level down. But even for a British team to be in the Euro Cup playoffs is uh, is remarkable. I think the goal there long term, the hope long term is hey maybe you can eventually uh, get up to that Euro League level. It'd be a lot of fun. Um, and, and that team, again, lots of Raptors connections. Sam Decker, former Raptor. Coach Ryan Schmidt, who used to be a 905 assistant and a Raptors player development assistant. Aaron Best, who's from here and was a 905. Or Ashton Smith, who's an assistant coach and was a Raptors 905 player. Um, no shortage of connections there, including part owner OG Ananobi. He's got to come on and talk about that at some point, right? It's, you know, long, long chat about British basketball uh, with OG Ananobi on Jay's Talk Plus. Um, we're going to keep setting up the Brewers series here. We're going to talk to Josh Moore, Brewers radio play-by-play voice next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590, the fan and Sports at 360. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Fun chat with Sam Decker, Wisconsin native, former Raptor, huge Brewers fan. To help us get this series teed up a little bit, we're going to keep doing that uh, with Josh Maurer, radio play-by-play voice of the Milwaukee Brewers. Josh, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Blake. I don't know if I can follow Sam Decker, but I'll do my best. Hey, uh, look, Sam Decker, we, we were getting into the the return for CC Sabathia, like getting, we were going down the Matt Laporta rabbit hole. I don't know, man. Uh, actually, you know what? I got to go back to, so that's Sam Decker's past that and, and fandom. I got to ask you, cause I know you came up through Boston in the minor league. Are you a Celtics guy? No, okay. no, I'm not, but I, <laughs> I did spend a lot of time in new England. So I can imagine the pain in that region this morning, but I am not a Celtics fan. Uh, not, <laughs> not at all. So I, I I'm not, uh, I, I am not shedding tears. I can Celtics imagine today. it. I can taste it. I can feel it. It's uh, I mean, look, 
obviously when you are, I'm in a city where the team did not make the playoffs. You can only throw so many stones, but I did think coming back from three, nothing to lay an egg in game seven was the funniest possible uh, outcome. So <laughs> you are, uh, you're a part of the, the Brewers radio play-by-play crew. And I, I know you guys juggle up the crews on, on radio and TV a little bit um, throughout the course of the season. I'm curious though, what has it been like for you to get to work with and cross paths with Bob Euchre over the course of the last year or two oh my goodness first of all I I had been as you said I I spent a lot of time in the minor leagues kind of working my way up the ranks and just to get a major league opportunity which I had been hoping for for years that was the greatest accomplishment of my career to to get any major league job would have been but then to get hired in Milwaukee and have the opportunity to sit and watch Bob Uecker work it's every night that we come into our ballpark, American Family Field, uh, it, it's the greatest joy that I have. Being in the same room as Bob and listening to his stories and his jokes uh, and, and watching the way that he interacts with everybody that he comes into contact with, um, it, it's remarkable and it's a lesson for all of us about the way that we could lead our lives. Bob's 89 years old, but you wouldn't know it to watch him and see him around the ballpark, the way that he acts and interacts. Um, He's still as good as ever on air doing the play-by-play of the Brewers games, which he's been doing for over 50 years. Uh, But, but aside from the play-by-play it's, it's him, the person and, and Bob off the air uh, getting to know him and having him be a a supporter of mine. I, I just can't tell you how much it means to me. So very long-winded answer, I know, but it, it's been an absolute joy just to get to know him for these these couple of years that I've been in Milwaukee. Buddy, we're talking about Bob Euchre and, and baseball. You could talk as long as you want. There's no worry about uh, a, a long-winded answer when it comes to something like that. Um, okay, so let's talk about this Brewers team. Let's tee up the series a little bit. Um, to me, the Brewers are a little bit tough to figure out. They're obviously at the top of the NL Central, um, but they have fallen off after a hot start. And then when you dig into some of the underlying numbers, this team is all over the place. Uh, four and seven, their last 11 drop three or four to the giants on the weekend. Where are the brewers at, right? Like, like if we had to zoom out and say, Hey, it's a one third way, one third mark of the season. Who are the Milwaukee brewers? How do you even begin to answer it with how all over the place and up and down this team's been? Uh, I think like the biggest thing is they are at the moment in survival mode. And that is just basically due to injuries to their starting rotation. The strength of the Brewers has been, and this year again was going to be that starting rotation with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta, Eric Lauer. Uh, They brought in Wade Miley. Uh, (laughs) Most of those guys I just mentioned are hurt. Uh, Brandon Woodruff made two starts this season and had a a shoulder issue that's had him on the injured list ever since the beginning of April. Eric Lauer just went onto the injured list. He had a very, very good couple of years prior to this one. Wade Miley came back to the Brewers, was pitching extremely well, and he got hurt. Aaron Ashby was supposed to be one of their young and -and up-and-coming starting pitchers, a left-hander who throws, uh, got great stuff, good velocity, it was going to be his second full year in the rotation. He never even started the year because of a shoulder issue. And, and they're not sure if or when he's going to pitch this season. So you've got at the moment four of your anticipated really six 
starting pitchers are out, and that's just very difficult to overcome. So I think the realistic uh, outlook for the next month or two for the Brewers, try to stay afloat. They're fortunate enough that they're in a division where nobody else is setting the world on fire, so they're actually in first place by a couple of games as they get up to Toronto here. Must be nice. But they're nowhere near full strength. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I know. (laughs) Right, yeah, everybody's giving me an eye roll as they listen to that answer, I'm sure, up here. But uh, they're, they're... they're just try- they're, they're trying to stay, I would say, probably anywhere close to 500 or a little bit above. And then hopefully after the All-Star break or sometime somewhat close to that, they start to get back some of these arms and then they feel like they can really make a push. So for right now, uh, the way the rotation looks, obviously Corbin Burns is Corbin Burns. We're going to see three-fifths of the rotation in this series, two of whom you know, maybe were, were question marks. Um, but Adrian Hauser starts tonight, and I know that he too ha- has dealt with a, a shortened stint here. I had to make a couple rehab uh, assignments on his way back up. But the early returns are tremendous for Adrian Hauser. Like, like he looks like he's back to 2021 version of himself, not last year's version that, that had an ERA pushing five. And I guess my question, my biggest question with Hauser, and this was a question I had in 2021 too, trying to figure out, is this guy for real? Is he had, when he's on, he has very good numbers without by modern standards, striking anybody out a strikeout rate down in the the 15 16 17 percent range which we don't really see for starting pitchers all that much how is Hauser able to be effective without missing a ton of bats well he's he he uses a really heavy sinker and he just gets a lot of ground balls Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest differences with Hauser this year versus last there's no shift anymore Mm -hmm. I really think that's helped him to be honest with you, there are ground balls that used to sneak through. Uh, I mean, he, he's got one of the higher ground ball rates that you'll see. And a lot of those ground balls that might have found an open spot last year because of the shifts, it's going at an infielder this season. Brewers have also upgraded their infield defense because their second baseman, Bryce Terang, who's a rookie, he is as good defensively as any second baseman in baseball. And I, I feel very comfortable saying that. He, he gets to everything. Um, so they've upgraded their defense on the infield and he, you know, I think a lot of those ground balls that would have snuck through a year ago are finding a glove. It's a very small sample size. Mm-hmm. He's only made four starts, but he's pitching well, um, a little extra velocity over the last couple of starts where he's pitched shut out baseball against the Rays and the Astros, a couple of really good lineups. Uh, Adrian was actually slated to be in the bullpen this year. That was coming out of spring training. That was the anticipated role for him. He was going to be kind of a, uh, a bulk reliever middle innings guy that could go two or three, um, or maybe even a leverage guy, depending on how it went. But because of the injuries I was talking about, he's been thrust right back into the rotation. And as you said, the returns early are very, very good. And they've needed that because there are guys that are, uh, they're they're out and somebody needed to step up and thus far Adrian has very effectively another uh, person who's been called on to, to step up and it's very early still is Julio Tehran who of course baseball fans will know from uh, a long career uh, a lot of success with the Atlanta Braves but we haven't seen him much at all for years as he deals with with injuries um, you know still in his early 30s but over since the start of the 2020 season he's only pitched 80 innings across any level Major League Baseball AAA a couple different franchises he had not been 
lighting the world on fire for um, at the AAA level when he was in the Padres system earlier this year. But the Brewers scoop him up uh, because of that need. What are they expecting from Julio Tehran and what do we expect tomorrow? Like, obviously, this is a guy with a strong track record, but he was available here in late May for, for the Brewers on a song, on a on a flyer. Yeah, it, it, this is one of those emergency needs. The Brewers needed a starting pitcher. And Tehran just happened to opt out of his minor league deal with San Diego right then. And uh, reportedly, there were several teams that were actually bidding on him. So the Brewers had to give him a decent chunk of change to <laughs> sign and, and come and make a start. At the day that he was officially signed last Thursday, Two hours later, he was on the mound <laughs> making his debut for the team against San Francisco. So that that's kind of that, that gives you a snapshot of of where the Brewers are at their their depth in the starting pitching ranks. But he came in and did a great job. He pitched five innings and gave up just one run. So I I would tell you that the answer to your question is I don't know, and I don't know that they know what to expect from a guy who has very very little recent track record, but. He did a great job against San Francisco. Now, this lineup he's going to face tomorrow night with the Blue Jays is a, a, a different beast than than what the Giants, no offense to San Francisco, and they're, they're actually on a pretty hot stretch right now. But uh, facing this Blue Jays lineup is going to be a very, very different challenge for Tehran. But uh, very good first step for him. I'm sure he's still even just taking time getting to know his teammates and his surroundings. But um, he made a very, very, very positive debut for them. Yeah, and, and who knows? You know, the, the Jays haven't seen him in a little while. The Jays' offense hasn't been gangbusters the last couple weeks. They, they've struggled a little bit. And Tehran being a, a five-pitch junk baller, who knows? Maybe you trick him for five innings, right? That That's all they're going to ask for. Um, the, the finale of this series Thursday afternoon will be Freddie Peralta on the hill. And not to get too far with things, but since I have you, um, Peralta – you know, there was a time in the last two, three years where it looked like he was going to be potentially a fixture at the top of this Milwaukee Brewers rotation uh, for a long time. He has had a tough go so far this season. The walk rate creeps up a little bit. ERA at 464. Um, what is Peralta working through right now? And what, you know, what is it that it's going to take for him to get back to the guy he looked like the last couple of seasons? I, I actually think, Blake, he's been pretty good. Okay. And up until his last three starts, you would say he was having a very solid bounce back from last year when he was injured for a lot of the season. He had a shoulder issue, and he was out for three months. But he looked strong. Um, he, his first, I think it was seven starts, he was four and two with a pretty good ERA. And then he's had a couple of bumps in the road. St. Louis beat him up a little bit a couple of weeks ago. And then his last start, which really inflated his numbers a bit, he was pitching against the Giants, gave up 10 runs, <laughs> but it was the game in which his best friend, Willie Adamas, who's the Brewers' everyday shortstop. Right, normally, it was that Willie, game. I'm not sure if you guys saw this. Yeah, Willie got hit while he was sitting in the dugout. A foul ball came and got him around the face, and it was a very scary scene. And nobody really knew what his condition was. Thankfully, there was nothing serious that that happened to Adamas, but Freddie is literally his best friend and, and they spend so much time together. So I, I really kind of think you give Peralta a pass where after that happened, nobody on the team, especially Freddie was in the right mental frame to go back out there and compete 
while they were still waiting for what, you know, the word on what, what the status of Adamus was. Uh, and he went back out to the mound and I think he gave up seven runs in the next inning. So, yeah, he, and he and, committed and an he error to, I think he committed an error that kind of led to the, that one big inning too. So you're not charged with all the runs, but yeah, I, I, I didn't know him and, and Adamus were that close. I, I'd kind of blanked that that was the same game. That's a, that's a great point and, and some great insight. I, I don't know how you focus in after, after something like that. Yeah, I, I think that was really tough. So I, I would imagine that Freddie's going to bounce back pretty well on Thursday, but mm-hmm. again, it's hard to say against this Blue Jays lineup, which is, is really, really, really tough. That I know, Craig Council, the manager of the Brewers, he, he has a ton of respect for what the Blue the Blue Jays put up there against uh, any pitcher, and uh, we'll see what the Brewers are going to be able to do against them. So, um, with Willie Adamas on, on the IL, what is the trickle down here for for this Brewers team? Because I know it's a team that on the position player side, obviously some some big names at the top in Yelich and someone we're familiar with here in Rowdy Tellez having a really nice year. Um, but you mentioned Terang, you know, obviously the the glove, but the bat's really not there. Owen Miller's kind of had to become an everyday player for this team. Um, what is like, what is the trickle down of the Adamus injury? You know, let's say he misses a, a week or two or something like that. How do they kind of triage this in the short term? They're trying. <laughs> I guess that's basically the best way I could say it. They, you know, Willie's the heart and soul of their team, and him being out is a huge loss. Defensively, he's been terrific at shortstop, but he's he's a middle of the order bat, and frankly, he wasn't swinging it all that well but he's the kind of presence that they need because they don't have a, a huge amount of thump. Uh, they brought in Jesse Winker this off season. He had had some successful years in Cincinnati before he had a struggle in Seattle last year. And Jesse thus far hasn't been able to produce the power numbers that they were hoping. So he's become kind of a part-time player. Yelich has been for the last few years, a very solid leadoff guy. He's scoring a lot of runs. He's taking walks. He'll steal bases but he's not producing the same kind of power that we saw a few years ago when he was an MVP and, and Rowdy Telez is really their, their best power bat. He's been a guy that has been a pretty much everyday player at first base since the Brewers picked him up and it's been a great move for them. And, and a guy that I know had success in kind of a part-time role up here, Rowdy's been their guy. He's a, he's a cleanup batter. Um, I'm not sure what you'll see with him tonight against Kikuchi because oftentimes against a, a lefty like that, Rowdy won't be in the starting lineup. But uh, we'll see. Um, they, it's a team that's not scored a lot of runs, and that's a big reason that since the first three weeks of the year, they've been a below 500 team. Um, they're trying to figure out a way to piece together a more consistent lineup. And with Adamus out, that becomes even harder. They will get, I think this week at some point, and I'm not sure if it's going to be today, uh, Luis Urias Mm. is a guy who got injured on opening day, and he's been out for the first two months of the season, essentially. And he's been on a rehab assignment working his way back. He's eligible to be activated today. He's been on the 60-day injured list. Um, And if they think he's ready and able to – to compete, I bet you that they'll get him back in there because uh, he's a guy that could potentially help pick up some of the slack with Adamus out. Yeah, that's a that's a big one if they can uh, they can get him back in there. Obviously, a guy who's had 
some nice moments for them uh, over the last couple of seasons. Uh, you mentioned Rowdy Tellez. Uh, are you are you to suggest then that the the Milwaukee Brewers are not kicking themselves for letting go of Trevor Richards and Bowden Francis for for a twenty five <laughs> home run middle of the back guy? Come on, man. Um, so I, I mentioned that. I mean, it's it's one of those ones that like Tellez wasn't going to play here with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. doing first base and DH and you know maybe and there are ways to work a guy in, but I don't think he becomes this player without the opportunity in Milwaukee. Um, Trevor Richards has turned into a nice bullpen piece for the Jays this year. And Bowden Francis might be next man up if they need a starter at some point. Um, I, I mentioned Richards though, because I'm curious, this is something I've been watching. So Trevor Richards, similar, not, not similar in results, certainly, but similar to Devin Williams in that it's fastball changeup, And Trevor Richards seems to be pushing the limit of, how much can you throw a changeup, and that's it? So he's up around 57% right now. Devin Williams uses his changeup about 51% of the time this year, but he had that up almost around 60 last year. How much do you think Devin Williams, like with how good Devin Williams' changeup is, how much do you think he could get away with throwing it before, like, you, like what would be the tipping point of, hey, man, you're throwing that elite changeup too much? Could he go higher than 60-40 and still be as effective with it? I, I honestly believe he could. He's as close to anybody with one dominant pitch as I can remember since Mariano Rivera. And, I, you know, Mariano just threw a cutter, and that's all it was. And he pitched his way into the Hall of Fame by doing that. I, I'm not saying that Devin should only throw the change up because his fastball actually has been really good this year, and mm-hmm. he's picked up the velocity a little bit. It's got It's got some juice. Um, and that's why he's throwing it a little bit more. But Devin's changeup is so good. It doesn't matter how much you've seen it. Batters just can't adjust to it and hit it. They, they just don't. It, it, it's a crazy deceptive pitch. And so I do think, yeah, I, I, I think you could throw it 60%, 70% of the time and still get most major league batters out. Um, but the fact that the fastball has played up a little bit more this year I think has made Devin that much more effective. He's been phenomenal. And, uh, you know, I think the Brewers kind of wish they could use him even more. They've, <laughs> they've only really used him in save situations or if it's a tie game in the ninth inning and that's it. And he's actually only got eight saves um, because there haven't been that many save situations to put him into. But it, but uh, they've got so much confidence to put him in at the end of a close game. Uh, he, he's He's earned that from them. And he's pitching as well as any back-end reliever that I think there is in baseball right now. Yeah, it's he's a, a ton of fun to watch. I like the branding of that one as the airbender. I, I think more guys with elite pitches should name them. Let's go back to the the Rick Vaughn Major League era and name all your your elite. Like if you can get if it has a batting average under two hundred and a whiff rate over forty, you get to name the pitch. Is I is the random cutoff I'm going to come up with? Uh, and Devin Williams changeup uh, obviously qualifies. Uh, Josh, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Enjoy this series. You bet. It's great to be up here. You know, the Brewers haven't played here since 2017, so wow. it's been a long time. Well, yeah, and so uh, there's a lot of guys kind of wandering around here trying to get their surroundings this morning. Yeah, I bet. Row- Rowdy's got to give everyone the, the coffee and bagel spots and stuff like that uh, for, for the morning trek. Uh, Josh, enjoy your stay here, man. Hopefully uh, I'll catch you down at the park the next couple of days. You bet, Blake. Thanks so much for having me. Josh Maurer, Brewers Radio Play-By-Play voice uh that game 
goes tonight, game one of that series, 7 p.m. It's Yusei Kikuchi against Adrian Hauser. The rest of this series goes Alec Manoa against Julio Tehran and Kevin Gosman against Freddie Peralta. I, I mentioned Bowden Francis earlier. He was part of the return for Rowdy Tellez. Trevor Richards, of course, turning himself into a, a pretty useful bullpen arm. He was initially when he came over last year, I, I admittedly was out on Trevor Richards for, for a long stretch there. Um, he's become pretty reliable, had some big moments over the weekend. Uh, of course, that three inning, only 32 pitch outing after Manoa's last start to kind of save the bullpen on that day. Um, so that part's nice. And, and Rowdy Tellis probably doesn't become this without the opportunity in Milwaukee. Bowden France is also a name worth keeping an eye on because we've kicked around on this show. You know, what if Alec Manoa, you know, what if we find out there's something physical going on? He needs a brief IL stint or, you know, some people ha have asked in the text line about a possible triple A stint for him. Well, who would the next man up be? The Buffalo starting pitching situation is not a good one. Mitch White had a rehab start on Saturday and got tattooed. Uh, Drew Hutchison started Sunday and it did not go well. Nobody down there is pitching well. And that includes Zach Thompson, who is presumably the sixth starter. Um, Bowden Francis, who was a part of that Rowdy Tellez deal, has missed a good chunk of this season. He started in AAA, uh, went down on April 8th and only May 19th. Uh, made a rehab assignment down at, at a ball and now at triple a he has been the most effective arm down there. He, they, he's only thrown uh, four innings at the most, but he's been pretty effective uh, when he's been available. The Jays would have to clear a 40 man spot for him. Uh, he was outrighted to the minors last year after they used him in a, in a brief stint. Um, so, you know, not a, certainly not someone you, you think is knocking down the door, for a rotation opportunity, but could potentially be uh, in the mix for next call up. I mentioned Mitch White made a rehab start on Saturday. We also heard word from Arden Zwelling down in uh, down on the road that uh, Zach Pop had thrown a bullpen session and live BPs. The next step for him, Santiago Espinal had faced live pitching, and the next step for him is uh, starting to run the bases and see how that goes. So some progression there. It doesn't sound like Danny Jansen's been doing much of anything in terms of baseball activity while. They let that groin here heal, but we had also heard that Danny Jansen kind of fought a little bit to stay off the IL. So maybe not a, a too long-term an absence for him either uh, because he's out this week. You're probably going to see Alejandro Kirk start two of these games, just a matter of uh, which one they decide to give him off. You could obviously go with the day game Thursday coming off the night game Wednesday, depending on how you want to structure your uh, your days off and things like that. You could just as easily also say, well, he's going to play Tuesday and then he'll play the day game Thursday uh, and Wednesday. Tyler Heineman can catch Alec Manoa, give Alec Manoa a different look and just see what shakes out there. They did the same thing in two starts ago when Manoa had a good one against the Orioles. And that was to Danny Jansen, not to say Kirk is doing anything that's necessarily leading to Manoa's struggles, but just to, as John Schneider said at the time, then just to give it a little, a little different look just to mix things up. And they are comfortable with um, all of their catchers catching whoever don't think you'll see Dalton Varsho behind the plate, but who knows Tyler Heineman, not, uh, not the heaviest of bats if he's in there. Uh, so we'll see how all of that shakes out again. It's it's going to be Kikuchi tonight and then Manoa and Gosman the rest of the series, which means you're going to get Bassett, Barrios, and Kikuchi against the Mets on the weekend. That'll be Verlander, McGill, and Kodai Senga um, if things progress as they're currently 
projected. So it should be a, a very fun week. Again, the game's tonight, seven o'clock and then uh, seven o'clock tomorrow, one o'clock down at the ballpark Thursday afternoon. Uh, always love a weekday afternoon game, a getaway day. The Jays then head to New York to face uh, the Mets quick turnaround. And then they're back home for an extended stretch. Uh, you say Kikuchi on the Hill tonight. He has had such an odd season. The strikeout rate is the lowest it's been since 2019, but the walk rate is the lowest it's been ever. That's a positive. The ground ball rate's also the lowest it's been ever though. And you say Kikuchi has always been someone who gives up a lot of hard contact and gives up a lot of the long ball. So how is that all coming out in the wash right now? Well, he does have a 4.56 ERA. I think though, you, you kind of have to look at, at two tails of his season, which is a really strong April in which four of his five starts were very, very good. And then a bit of a tough May where four of his five starts have been middling to bad. And he's only really got the, the one really good start against Pittsburgh in there. Curious to see how this looks tonight against a Milwaukee Brewers team that has not hit the ball. Well is dealing with a bunch of injuries, uh, but still has a handful of names like our old friend, Rowdy Tellez, like Christian Yelich, who was at one point a, a perennial MVP candidate. Uh, they still have some guys who can hit. We'll be back at 10 a.m. tomorrow to break that one down for you. Uh, you can also check out Blair and Barker at five o'clock as they get you ready for that game. And they'll have you for Jay's talk post game as well. But right now we have a Stanley cup final set. We're going to hand it over to Jeff Merrick and the Jeff Merrick show to start teeing you up for the Stanley cup final. Uh, that's next. Uh, Jay's Talk Plus returns 10 a.m. tomorrow on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360.